Hey guys, I'm Eric McLean. And I'm Kelly Gramlich. It's time to talk some ACC football. Let's go. Friday, everyone, and welcome into the Gramlich and McLean podcast as we continue our ACC under review series. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe, follow, all that good stuff on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We really appreciate it when you guys do that. We're way over 100 now. Our goal was 100 at one point, but keep them coming. We would really, really appreciate that. Mac, our schedule this week, and as we keep going with our ACC under review, is loaded. Come on, KG. It's hard to believe that we are at episode nine of ACC Under Review. There's only 14 teams, and we will actually be combining just because we're, we're running into some NFL combines, some things like that. So we had to uh, cut back a couple of days. So we will be combining a couple of teams uh, to make one episode out of two. We've already knocked out Pitt, Wake, Clemson, NC State, Miami, Virginia, and of course on Wednesday, Boston College. If you missed any of those, be sure to go back, check those out. Really appreciate everyone who has hopped on with us. We've had some awesome guests, and clearly you guys have liked it because we've had a lot of great feedback, a lot of great listenership and viewership on social media. Uh, and, and we're breaking down all things ACC for each individual school from their 21 football season. Mac, it's time to talk about the team from the Derby City, the Louisville Cardinals, with the expert on all things UofL, Mark Ennis. Mark is one of the biggest radio voices in the state of Kentucky, and especially in the Louisville area. Our guy Mark hosts The Drive every weekday from 3 to 6 p.m. on 93.9 The Ville. Our fellow ACC analyst and Louisville legend, Luke Hancock, joins him every Tuesday and Wednesday on the show. Let's talk Cardinals with Mark Ennis. Mark, welcome into the podcast, my man. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really excited to talk about the Louisville Cardinals with you. Well, I'm excited to, to make my maiden voyage here. This is great. I have you guys on the show. Now it's nice for me to, uh, to be the guest this time. That's right. Answering the That's questions. right. Re return, return the favor, if you will. Home That's right. Home That's right. Away. Come yeah. on. Come on. Well, listen, the cards finished six and seven, ups and downs and inconsistencies all over the place. And, and then, of course, the tough loss to Air Force to, to end the season. Just starting from kind of a 10,000-foot view, how would you grade 2021 for the Louisville football team? You know, I'm, I think I'm, a, I'm friendlier, greater to Scott than, than a lot of the fan base is. Uh, sort of live on the edge, and I'm not like risk, like edgy, you know, fans uh, here. For me, like I'd give them like a C. I mean, I think that they did good things. Uh, they, it, it was improved over last year in a lot of areas. Uh, in fact, I think that you identified several of the things that you'd wanted them to do better this year. They did lots of them uh, in the season. Really? I think just sort of drives home when it comes to you know power five football. Uh, there's nothing worse than being close. <laughs> and there were a whole bunch of games where they were really close and really didn't finish any of them. And if there's a second lesson, you cannot lay an egg against your rival the way that they did, you know? And so like they were, they were achingly close to being, you know, kind of a nine win team. Uh, and then the two games prior to Kentucky seemed to sort of be rounding into form a little bit. They just beat the hell out of uh, Syracuse and Duke. And then you, you go into that rivalry game at the end of the year, and there were some pretty good feelings, and they got crushed. Uh, and Scott's dad had died that day, so he was pretty terse after Oof. the game. You know, all the, it was just an abrupt 
rough end uh, to the season. So they did more good things, I think, than they they get credit for. But th- that's how it is. Like you can't play against Kentucky like that. Uh, and so I I don't necessarily think that's it's unfair, but he's got to make major strides next year. Well, and you, and you mentioned I didn't know that fact about Scott's dad. So that's. I mean, two terrible things happening one day, one obviously a lot more terrible in the grand scheme of things. But let's talk about that Kentucky situation for a second. And I also want to talk about the close losses because there's been a lot this year and last year. But what is up with Louisville when they play Kentucky? I feel like every year, and Mac and I have talked about this, we get roped into believing that we should pick Louisville because they play well leading into that game. And then no matter where the game is, it just seems they drop it or they lay an egg. What is up with that, Mark? It's a great question. I wouldn't uh, be able, I would not uh, say like, I know for sure this is what the issue is. But if my theory is one, Mark Stoops is really smart and he really values the hell out of that game. Like he, it's serious for him. And I think if you think about Scott uh, in his coaching career, he is not coached in a game like that. Like they, App State doesn't have a rival like that. They really don't like a, a life and death rivalry game. And Eric, it's it's every bit Clemson, South Carolina. No question. Here. No question. Uh, and he has just has not coached in a game like that where it's sort of life and death in the state every day, all the time. And Mark Stoops, he has, and he, he is better at having his team up for that game. But also, it's really been a referendum on one of Scott's kind of philosophical things. We're going to be this smaller one gap defense, and they just get run over, and it. it it's caused him to basically kind of abandon it. So he came on the show on Friday. He came in studio with us for like half an hour. It was awesome. And I asked him, I'm like, D- have you changed, you know, philosophies on that? And he basically was like, yeah, we have to be bigger than we have been up to this point. So if anything else, the, the silver lining of the, of uh, the Kentucky game is it kind of cured Scott of the idea that they could, they could keep playing and trying to build the defense that way. And the recruiting is starting to reflect that too. Right. And, and I mean, it's it's big boy football. I mean, when, when you're playing Clemson, when you're playing Kentucky, yeah. when you're playing sometimes Florida State, I mean, it's it's just a different level. And, and everyone knows that. Um, I, I want to bring up something that you said and Kelly said she wants to touch on as well. Finishing games. Because that has been horrible. I, I don't even know what to – it's been so bad. I, and – it's in a weird spot of where it's one possession games. It's I think the Virginia game, it was like an 18 point lead a 13, whatever it was, something yeah. crazy. And then just not being able to finish. And my theory on that is those type of, of things are solved in the weight room are solved in spring ball are solved in summer workouts. And then when we get to the game, it's easy. And it just was like, I don't know. I hate to blame certain people or individuals, but it's like, there was no finish. We could not finish if we were the Louisville Cardinals. What I mean, I don't know what else to attribute it to. Uh, no, I, I think you're right uh, about that. It's like the weight room, uh, strength and conditioning sort of part of this, and they made a change there. You know, he, he, he went and got somebody off Georgia staff, which sounds great to me you know, to come here and sort of do that. Uh, I think it is a combination of that, you know, physically – just not holding up, you know, having 48 good minutes in you, but it's a 60-minute game, which is, I think they're trying to address that. Uh, but also, you know, I think Scott has had to kind of learn you aren't at App State, and this is not an insult to App at all. Like, It's a great program. He did a great job there. But like in the Sun Belt, I think your margins were a lot bigger. 
right? Like you, I think you could take fewer risks. I think you could sort of count on a certain level of sort of precision being good enough because it's the Sun Belt. And I think he's learned the hard way. Everybody in the ACC, especially quarterback-wise, is really good. It's been a great couple of years for quarterbacks, and these margins are much, much, much smaller. And it's been it's really been on the defensive side. I think that that's where they're sort of trying to bring in some fresh blood and, and recognize, hey, you've got to be a lot more clever uh, and take a lot more risks, especially if you're Louisville, uh, than they've been willing to up to up to this point. It's a great point, Mark. And I'm interested to see how some of that gets addressed in 22. But, you know, let's talk about some of the positives here. We have Louisville listeners and and you want to talk about some of the positives. Malik Cunningham. I mean, you bring up the great quarterback play in the ACC. He's been and it's it has been really good. And he has been a big part of it. Leading passer in every game, of course, leading rusher in seven of 13 games for the Cardinals this year. I feel like it was a breakout year. Did you expect that from him to have this kind of year where I think he really put himself on the map? Yeah, I thought he would be improved. But my, you know, the big focus for me was a year ago, you know, two seasons ago now, the big problem for him was turning the ball over, fumbling the ball, you know, while running or in the pocket and interceptions. And I was just really looking for him to make some improvements there. And then he really became a much more decisive runner. Uh, he stayed healthy for a whole season, uh, which he, you know, he gets. I think he gets credit for sort of being committed to to being more durable, you know, taking care of his body and that sort of thing. Uh, and he became a lot better passer and in like the intermediate stuff and stuff that requires a little bit of touch. Uh, so I thought uh, I was excited. Pete Thomas got the quarterback coaching job. I think a lot of Pete. I think he's a, a great kind of up and coming guy, uh, and I thought he did a fantastic job. Uh, with Malik this year and the offense really overall as a whole like for as much as they've struggled I think on on defense to build a like a, a you know an ACC caliber front seven in particular the offense the offensive line running back that sort of thing like Scott's done a fantastic job there I agree wholeheartedly with you and, and seeing the scheme we saw for year one what they wanted to do that zone stretch that's yeah. the basis of Louisville football, and everything is going to be kind of built around that. And I think we've seen marginally, you know, Malik make unbelievable strides. And and you know, at first it was the long ball, like he's connecting on that. And and then you know, a year ago, like you said, the turnovers, but still making explosive plays. And then now, you know, this complete quarterback. I mean, what do you expect growth wise from him? I mean, when I look at it, I think, okay, physically, I need to get a little bit bigger, need to get a little stronger, more more beef on the bone. Um, and then maybe just pushing the ball downfield a little bit more. I mean, he's averaging 8.7 a completion, still 19 touchdowns. But other than that, I mean, just stay healthy and, and be the guy. Yeah, I, well, and I, I think like taking, um, just taking the drop down, you know, check downs and things like that a, a little bit more. Like, I think he wants to make big throws, you know, sometimes. I think the big thing also for this coming year, I think they're going to be better at wide receiver. Like I think he, you know some of his numbers early on the first half of last year were reflective of the fact that they were breaking in like all new guys at wide receiver, and I think there's there's good reason to be optimistic about that position next year. Uh, but he's got command, decisive, you know that sort of thing. Now that he miles better than he was when he first got here for sure. And I think what what's interesting about that is okay we we see this guy growing up we see him developing in the offense becoming the guy and you know that's what you expect you talk about those checkdowns you, you this next year I mean it, it should be the final form it should be the absolute peak of evolution for Malik Cunningham and in understanding 
where to go with the football, one, two, three, check down, one, two, three, run, one, two, three, hit the big play. And that's what I think we're going to see. If I know him as a competitor, as as just a student of this game, I mean, there's a lot to be excited for uh, with, with Cunningham being back. Well, and they're going to bring back 78% of their production or so. You know, Bill Conley's got the big write-up, you know, today. Uh, offensive line loses one guy off of it. Uh, I think wide receiver, again, they're bringing in a couple of guys, a pretty super talented kind of slot guy. Uh, and then Tyler Hudson from Central Arkansas is super productive there. Tyler Harrell really started to emerge. Like, they're going to have the best set of weapons and depth they've really had since Scott's been here. Well, and, and you bring up the wide receivers. That was something that was curious to me watching Louisville this past year. When I think of Louisville, I think of, you mentioned they're bringing in a talented slot guy, but I think of speedy playmakers, maybe not the biggest wide receivers, but they can make plays. And it felt like they didn't really have that this past year. So do you expect that to be, I don't know, fixed as a, just to say it's going to be completely fixed, but be better in 22? I do. I do. I, I think that uh, bringing in uh, Mortimer, Devon Mortimer, you know, four-star kid, they flipped from Florida State on signing day. I think he'll have a chance to come right in uh, and play pretty early on, and he's really fast, really quick. Exactly the kind of guy they love to be that 2-2 outwell slot guy. Same kinds of guys that have. Uh, Tyler Harrell really got a lot better. He had never, he'd always just been track fast. You know, we'd really not seen him play, and I think it took him a few games to sort of get used to, you know, beating a guy you know, off the, at the snap, you know, beating somebody trying to jam him, that sort of thing, and he got physically better throughout the year to where he was a pretty dangerous deep threat by the end of the season. Uh, I, I think that Hudson is is a big guy, possession guy. They needed that. Uh, you know, it was four or five different guys trying to learn brand new roles and be the guy because they lost everybody, you know, at the wide receiver position. And I think there's, there's every reason in the world to be more optimistic about that spot this year. And I think, you know, when you have such that, you know, young production and, and young guys trying to figure it out, there's a learning curve, right? And, and guys have to, number one, find their spot in the pecking order when you lose so much leadership, so much talent. And then it's kind of like, okay, uh, are you going to lead the room? Are you, who, who's going to do it? And I think we saw that live. I mean, I, th I think we saw that as the season, you know, kind of went on and, and you talk about, you know, th these guys growing up, who do you expect? I, I guess if there was a, if there was a guy, if, if there's going to be a guy who is that tutu, who is that just dog that we know we can go to on third and 10, we've got to take it. Who, who's it going to be? If I had to say it right now, I would say Amari Huggins, Bruce, you know, who was a freshman last year, uh, and it can really, can really run, is really elusive. But I think you know what it looks like when somebody is just sort of winging it, <laughs> and you just sort of lose that a step because you can tell that a guy is thinking. And I think this year he's going to play with a whole lot more confidence and sort of know what my roles are, know what to expect. I know what this looks like. I know they're going to be counting on me. But just one more year of experience, you know, for him, you'll see sort of the, the, the full non-hesitating, not worried about if I'm actually going to catch this or not, fully aggressive. I think he's going to take the biggest step forward of all the receivers from last year. I'm looking forward to seeing it because I miss seeing a little more explosiveness in the passing game from Louisville. And, you know, we will get to defense. We, we joke about this every single pod we do. We, we get don't to have like to. We like the 15-minute mark. <laughs> Listen, and we talk we're about offensive defense. people. We have, <laughs> look, you addressed the Satterfield stuff where he was saying he's going to make some defensive uh, scheme and kind of philosophy changes, which I'm really excited to see. But this offensive line I thought was a bright spot for Louisville last year. Only gave up 20 sacks, best in the ACC. Some of that is Malik. Some of that is Malik being able to evade tacklers and just be creative. Do you expect 
this O-line to continue to get better and improve and, and be one of the better ones in the ACC? Yeah, I, I think the you mentioned, you know, not allowing uh, very many sacks and really not allowing tackles for loss. It was weird, you know, the, Scott's first two years when they were sort of building that line up a little bit and, and learning to play in this scheme, they were very boomer bust, both passing and running. It'd be just tons of first and 10, second and 12 first downs. Like, there were lots of that. Uh, this year, they did a tremendous job not getting behind the chains. They were they weren't nearly as dangerous until sort of later in the year, but they were way more efficient. And I think this, I, I expect them to, to do that. I think the, the challenge for these guys now is to sort of be more imposing. You know, yes, you're not allowing tackles for loss and sacks. Like, now let's mash some people. And I thought they did it at times, uh, but there needs to be a little bit more of that. That's sort of the, the final step, I think, in terms of the offensive line. But they're going to be deep. They're going to be experienced. Uh, everybody's back except for again, one, you know, Cole Bentley, that's it. But Brian Hudson played a lot at center. I mean, they got, when Scott showed up, they had five linemen. Five offensive linemen, and now they're you know they're they're ten twelve deep. They that are you know when you put them out there, like okay, that guy at least can play. He <laughs> you believe you know? I mean, it was rough when he got here, man. He he almost laughed the first time I talked to him about. It. He's like, "Where's everybody else?" <laughs> Mark, do you think? I think we, we we look at Georgia Tech in this league. We look at Georgia Tech and we say, "Wow, Jeff Collins really inherited quite the rebuild, right?" But and maybe we look at Elko taking over at Duke quite the rebuild, Norvell at Florida State, quite the rebuild. Do you think in general, people outside of that Louisville bubble maybe underestimate exactly what Satterfield took over? Yes, I do. But it's it, only because it's different. Uh, it, it wasn't, I, like, I think Collins, it was a complete makeover. Like, you are changing entirely what you do. And it was such a niche kind of what you want from every position uh, that I, I hope they give him enough time right uh, you know to, to get that fixed with Scott you know I think he inherited what five years of Bobby Petrino will will give you which is some really good wide receivers uh, and uh, uh, some offensive linemen and no one on defense at all <laughs> like and that I mean that's and the psychological post Bobby Petrino which right. I think we've seen literally everywhere falls apart when he leaves right mm. Right, you know, it leaves a place unhealthy. Arkansas, it just barely is is out of it now. You know, Louisville the first time fell apart when he left. Like it's what happens, uh, and it's Scott's done a great job there. So he inherited a team that had some talent at the skills position, uh, but has was a complete and total rebuild, especially on the defensive side. And then the whole team was sort of a psychological rebuild, right? And, and that's. And just knowing, you know, what Scott wants to do, right? You talk about those five offensive linemen, you, you know, having to get the body types that fit your scheme. I mean, there, I don't think there's any question that at this offense's core, they want to run the football and they want to run the football effectively. And, and so when you look at these running backs and, and the stable that, you know, Louisville has on any given play with number one, Malik Cunningham being the threat, but also with, with Jalen Mitchell, I mean, Will we see more of an emergence from Mitchell? Are, are we going to see Malik, you know, next year have to carry the ball 175 times? Um, or do you think, okay, the, these running backs are growing up, they, they understand what they need, and, you know, they'll get a little bit more bulk of the carries? Well, I think, I think there is a chance that you see more of an intentional running backs carrying more of the, of the load there. But, I, I mean, They'd be fools to not run Malik Cunningham. Right. <laughs> a good, you know what I mean? Like, you don't want to go away from that. We used to have this debate with Lamar Jackson all the time. Do we want, like, do we want Lamar running the ball? Yes. It's just what he does. Yes. It's what he does. Yeah. It's what he does. <laughs> He's really good at it. Of course we do. But uh, the running back spot, 
Uh, I think Jalen Mitchell and Travion Cooley both uh, are going to be fantastic. And then they brought in Tyon Evans from Tennessee, who was spectacular until he got hurt. Uh, and they are blown away with him too. And, and Scott is a, you know, 100% of carries for three guys. Like it's, you know, 40, 40, 20, like you'll do that. You know, I think we'll see all of them. And I think it'll be a hot hand kind of thing. And he did that last year with Cooley and Mitchell. So I don't expect one guy to take over uh, at that spot. But I tell you what, the, the Evans kid is really, really good. All right. You talked about uh, talking with Satterfield and, and knowing he has to make some changes defensively. This team was, I would describe, a little more middle of the road last year. Now, you bring up the Kentucky game where they got smashed, no doubt about it. Did have 10 picks, so they were effective in enforcing some turnovers. How can this defense improve next season? Either they've got to recruit or develop or find disruptive people up front. I, I think the number one thing they don't do, and he did a good job of this at App, was these sort of undersized, high-motor, disruptive defensive linemen. Uh, that were good pass rushers, and, and they have not found a soul. I mean, nobody. Yaya Diaby a little bit last year. That's about it. I mean, they've got to be disruptive in the pass rush and get home. Uh, they they have cover have to cover forever. You know, I cannot get over. I cannot get over uh, Clemson just limping into the end zone on, on the game deciding play because you got nowhere near him. You know, and it was like that in every crucial situation. Never got near Sam Hartman when you needed a stop. Never got near uh, Brandon Armstrong when you needed a stop. Couldn't stand up at all against Kentucky. Like every major opponent, they get dominated up front. So for me, like the single most important place where things have got to change is disruptive defensive linemen. So you don't have to bring the house just to even have a, a chance right. of getting pressure because they're not great in the secondary. They're not bad. Right. But they have to ask a lot of them because they just don't generate a pass rush up front. And I'll tell you what what is going to be a big kind of determining factor if you cannot just generate pressure with your front four or front three, whatever you're going to do, is this league is too good at quarterback. We have too much experience that if you bring the house, those guys are going to say, okay, great, right over your head, touchdown. I mean, look out. So it's something that is going to be fascinating to see. Mark, do you think the guys – are on the roster? Is it a schematic thing? Do they have to go to the portal as we are in February and, and try to get maybe a, a couple of pieces going into next year? I mean, I think they are getting there, uh, but they have not emerged yet. Like I mentioned, Yaya Diaby is probably the only guy that I would be like, all right, Yasir Abdul is a really good kind of pass rushing linebacker. Uh, he was really effective last year, just quick. You know, he's solid. Uh, Yaya Diaby is solid. Uh, they redshirted the defensive lineman that they're going to play at nose. They, you know, they play like a 275-pound nose for the first couple of years. This Caleb Banks is 6'5", 310. They're going to have like a normal space-eating nose. You know, and they brought, geez, they, they brought in a kid that's like 6'4", 330, uh, and, and are going to try to whip him into shape and get like, he's obviously, I mean, he said it. We were too small. We've got to be bigger. Uh, and then they signed a local kid. That's you know, going to play about 275, and and Popeye Williams has uh, been working with uh, uh, Butler from from the from the Colts as a kind of a speedy pass rusher. I think he was super at the Under, All -Amer uh, Under Armour All-American game. I think he'll have a chance to come in and play really, really early. I think they've got some guys. Uh, I think the, the work to be done is with, with the Ben Souders, the strength guy now that's coming in from Georgia. These guys have got to be physically different than they have been up to this point. And if so, I think there's some stuff to work with. But that's the that is the place that has to look the most different from a year ago.
For sure. And, you know, you bring up recruiting momentum. I feel like as I follow quite a few of the Louisville people on, on Twitter, you're the ringleader, Mark, of course. <laughs> I see some of the, the momentum building for recruiting for Louisville football. So here's kind of a broad, big picture question. I Look, there was drama with Satterfield. We don't need to rehash that, but there's drama. Do you feel like, because you have your, your pulse on the fan base, do you feel like the fan base is starting to buy in more to Satterfield and maybe give him a real chance? What, what's the vibe there? Yeah, he's helped himself a lot you know, from the bowl game forward. Uh, with the, the staff additions, it was pretty obvious that he's like, I'm going to go uh, address instead of sort of just it – it felt like he took his App State operation basically just transplanted it here and has kind of realized, hey, I've got to challenge myself and I've got to have some, some different voices. And so – former SEC guy, you know, and Wesley McGriff comes in on the defensive side and getting Lance Taylor who was at Notre Dame, you know, as a playoff contending, you know, program to come in and work on the offensive side. And the recruiting stuff has really, really taken off. And that's to me, like, that's the best thing a coach that's maybe on the hot seat or that people have questions or doubts about. You start recruiting is be like, look, guys, this is what's coming in. Like, that's concrete. That's hope. Uh, and it really, really helps to get a quarterback and a really good one right. uh, that's committed, which they have. And then they become kind of the ringleader and that, you know, and that sort of thing. I think Scott's done uh, himself a world of good in terms of PR and goodwill uh, with the way the the post bowl game stuff has gone for him. And he'll get, get to hire one more uh, assistant coach now with Gunnar Brewer going to Maryland. And we'll see if he keeps up that what he's been doing up to this point. But yeah, I, I think he's he's won a lot more people back over or at least gotten a lot more people to sort of put pitchforks down back. Like, All right, let's see how next year. <laughs> As the, uh, the great Mark Richt has always said, winning takes care of everything. So just handle it on the field and you'll be just fine. Uh, Mark, something that's a little unique now um, that we have our post schedule releases is we get to ask you about that in 22 and, and the fact that, you know, it's out, we get to see who Louisville is playing when and where, is there anything on this schedule that that caught your eye? You're like, man, that's that's interesting, or that you're happy about? Anything about the 22 schedule that uh, that you're interested in? Yeah, the last three weeks of the season uh, for Louisville. That's exactly uh, what I is, said. I saw it. I was like, whoa, yeah. that's that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he basically, yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, Scott's got to uh, get as much leeway, headway, work done as he can the first nine weeks of the season. They've got to get off to a good start. Uh, because the last three weeks of the year are just brutal. And it's not going to be an easy schedule. I think UCF is going to be better uh, than they were this year. But to have at Clemson, NC State, at Kentucky, the last three weeks of the season is, is I mean, getting one of those. You know, right now, I think NC State's got like the fifth best odds to make the college football playoff. Right. Crazy. Uh, bet, which is nuts. Uh, I'm not making any crazy bets this time uh, about that. <laughs> but, uh, like that's that is a rough schedule uh, for Louisville, and so Scott's got to be like he's got to get off to a good start. Uh, if they start the season by winning at Syracuse, at Central Florida, and then beating Florida State on that Friday night, if they're three and zero, I think he'll there'll be lots and lots and lots of good feelings uh, before you sort of get into that middle. He's got to get ahead of schedule because the last three weeks of the season are brutal. He does, he does. Okay, so so give us. You're saying what Scott has to do. What do you think is going to happen now? It's February 8th, so I'm so sorry you even have to answer. We're holding you to this. We will blast this out again (laughs) in August and rehash. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But if you're right, we definitely will. So overall, what what do you project for 22 for Louisville? I think they're going to go like 8 and 4. You know, I think there'll be progress. That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, I think if they go 8 and 4 and and put together, you know, a quasi top 25-ish recruiting class, I think things that people will be 
thrilled to be able to sort of see the direction uh, if Scott will be sort of fully implemented here. And it's funny, you know, Vince Tyree just uh, resigned uh, as the athletic director. He had this press conference afterwards, uh, and he told he just said it out loud. He's like, look, financially, you know, with Scott, after this season, they're either going to have to buy him out or extend him and give him a raise. And so it's really up to him, you know, <laughs> yeah. with the sort of results in place. So uh, I think Scott's sincere about wanting to be here, recognizing sort of goofed with the, the South Carolina thing uh, after his second year. And if they go eight and four, I think you'll see him sign an extension and, and start to sort of have this thing going in the right direction. Right. Eight and four with a win over Kentucky sounds great. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. I think a lot of people will be super excited about that. Mark, this was so much fun, man. Thank you for your time uh, helping us break down all things the Louisville Cardinals. Anytime, guys. Anytime. Mark Ennis, man, that that was a fun conversation. I mean, just diving into all things Louisville. And you know what I love, KG, about when you know we're talking to these local folks. I mean, that's what they do every day. They live, breathe, eat, sleep Louisville or whatever school that we're talking to. And, and they're just so plugged in to the community, to the school itself that, you know, they know stuff that, you know, you and I outside of Clemson for, for you that, you know, we just don't know from, from different things that people are talking about, saying all these things. So it was very enlightening to hear kind of the the mood in Louisville and the fact that, okay, folks are getting excited based on this recruiting class looking forward in 22. Uh, but I think at the end of the day right now, when you think Louisville football, you think Malik, Malik Cunningham and he's just so special. I really, KG, can't wait to see what he's going to look like in this you know kind of final year for college for him. And I thought it was very interesting from Mark, the insight he gave us about some of the defensive changes he expects, how Satterfield has come to realize, look, we have to be able to get after the passer. We have to be bigger up front. And so he's working to remedy that. And I found it fascinating at the end when Mark said, this, may, this is kind of a put up or shut up year. Either you're going to pay the buyout, give him a raise, give him an extension. And if he can have some sort of success, I think even seven and five, perhaps eight and four, because of the goodwill he's built with this recruiting class that he's bringing in and in 23 as well, I think he'll be okay. But I don't think you can go six and six again. That's what I think can't happen. And so a lot of that may come down to winning close games, Mac, which right. is a, an issue that we talked about with Mark. So it's going to be a very interesting year to see what happens in Louisville. Yeah. And I think, you know, making that coaching staff change in the weight room, getting the, the necessary guys in there and, and really just, it's a mentality change. When you look at these past two years, losing all the close games that they have, I mean, it, it's, there's so many that there, there's almost double digit examples of yeah. you had them right on the ropes and you weren't able to finish. And, and that's a huge thing. I look back at 2020 with the close losses to Pitt, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, Boston College, and then this past season, Wake Forest, UVA, which was a whole, I mean, they were up 18 or so. I mean, it was nuts. And then, of course, Clemson, as Mark alluded to, kind of limping in to win the game. That's that's a mentality thing. And then, of course, Kentucky, that's its own complex where you know what they do, you know what they do best, you have to sell out to stop it. And so I'm, I'm with you, I'm with Mark. It matters. This year, it's it's going to be a tone-setting season. It's going to be looking at the future. What do we have to sell? But also, how are we getting there? And how quickly are we getting there? So a lot of exciting things for Louisville, I think, going into this year. The one kind of down thing is they are in a loaded division. I mean, the Atlantic mm. this year is going to be nuts. So, you know, where do you finish? How much do you take in that into consideration? It's going to be very interesting, KG. 
You heard it here first. Mark Ennis saying NC State's going to make the playoff. That's what I heard him say. <laughs> that's what I heard him say. He Matt. said, bet the house, word for word. I think that's, a, no, I'm just kidding. But it, it's, it's going to be interesting. No question, NC State going to be a really, really good team. Uh, it's going to be fun to see what the Atlantic looks like. But, guys, that's it. Thank you for listening. Another great episode of Gramlick and Mac Lane. If you haven't already, go over to iTunes, follow our podcast, drop us a little five-star rating or write us a review. We would greatly appreciate that. But until next time, we'll see you all. Thank you.